Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, the book of Ephesians chapter 3, we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. We took last weekend to have our Strengthening the Family weekend with Pastor Olachea, and just a reminder to be in prayer for Pastor Juan Carlos. Remember, they are starting their church in Tucson this Sunday. So I texted him the other day and told him that the folks of the Oasis, we would be lifting him up in prayer. So uh, just keep Juan Carlos and that church in Tucson in your prayers. Um, Then a couple other things. I've been asking you to pray about our uh, Wednesday night Bible study and uh, our attendance on Wednesday night. And I'm going to ask you to continue to do that because we had had an uptick last, last week. And it was good. And then I want to share this, and, and I would have shared this regardless, because some of you are going to go, yeah, yeah, you're just, you're just trying to get more people out on Wednesday. Well, yeah, that's true. But, but I do want to share this, because even if you cannot in, in any way be there on Wednesday night to hear it, I hope that you will avail yourself to listen to this message from Wednesday at some point for this reason. And I'm not over-exaggerating. I'm not overstating the issue here. What I'm going to speak about this Wednesday will be a shock. That's not too strong a word. A shock to probably nine out of ten Christians that hear this message. It's that, it's that radical. Because we live in a church culture that has gotten so off track from what the church should be focused on, that what Paul has to say in 1 Timothy is just going to, it's just going to blow most of the people who hear this away. Like, wow. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of people be like, we just never realized that that's not what the church was supposed to be focused on. So anyway, uh, that's coming up this Wednesday. Then, coming up three weeks from yesterday is our church picnic. And the last couple years, we've been having it out at the top of the world there, Arizona, between Globe and uh, Superior and Globe at uh, Robert and Dana's place. And it just works out great. It's so nice out there. It's away from the city. It's probably a little bit more than an hour drive from here, so you can sort of gauge how long it would take you. Um, But we always have a great turnout, and uh, I don't know, I know many of you that live at least in the East Valley like we do probably have seen signs the last year or so that they've been doing road construction out there, and if you went last year, you realize, whoa, they, well, almost all of that is done. The road is much nicer. It's just a nice drive to go out past even where we live in Gold Canyon and to drive out, you know, through Superior and then on towards Globe and then be up there at top of the world. So I hope you will join us. But here's the deal. We, as the church, always supplied the meat and, and the drinks and all that. So we need to know how many are coming to know how many are plan, we're planning for. So the sign-up sheet is out there starting this week because we realize we only have three Sundays until the church picnic. We've got the 2nd, the 9th, and the 16th of October, and then the picnic is on Saturday the 22nd. So if you could be with us, and this is even a great opportunity for you to bring some friends with you, maybe even some people that you're like, you know, they've been thinking about maybe uh, coming to the Oasis or whatever, it'd be a great opportunity for them just in a very casual setting to get to know who we are and what we're about 
and just to spend time with a bunch of crazy people out at the top of the world. But anyway, we, we hope you'll be there. We're, we're hoping, not that he's going to speak that weekend, uh, I'll be speaking that Sunday the 23rd, but we're hoping that Pastor Olachea and Carmen can be back uh, to be with us at the picnic. And we're also hoping that Pastor Juan Carlos and Yvonne can come up on that Saturday for the picnic as well. So it'd be just a great time for our church family and for our extended family, if you will, to get together. All right. Ephesians chapter 3. The first three words of this chapter, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, for this reason, which is basically those three words are a hinge that then takes us back to the first two chapters and then swings into chapter 3. So for just a moment, I'd like to do a quick review about what is the reason then that Paul's basing what he's about to say on. Well, he's talked to us about the local church. Yes, the church in general, but if we really want to apply the principles uh, of being a Christian, it's got to be reduced to our involvement and engagement in a local church, a community of believers. And remember a couple weeks ago I said that God has designed it. It's not our design. God has designed it that the only way you and I as followers of Jesus Christ will get strong spiritually and be healthy spiritually is in a close-knit community of believers. Though many Christians reject that and think that they don't need to be part of a close-knit community of believers, that's God's design. That's not ours. And so Paul has been talking to them about this. He's been talking to them about how amazing it was that in, in the Old Testament, yes, God used a nation to declare his glory to the world, to, to, to let people see who he was through them. He chose Abraham, and then he chose the nation of Israel to do that through. But when Christ came, and Christ sacrificed himself on the cross, Christ opened up a whole new, a whole new entity, if you will. He was now, God was now saying, I'm not just working through one nation. Now I'm going to start calling people through Christ to this, this thing called the church, my body. And it's instead of being one nation and one race, it's going to be this multinational, multiracial entity that I'm going to bring together into one. I'm going to create out of all this diversity, Paul said, one new man. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Where even in this context, he says, even Jew and Gentile, as much as you maybe hated each other and were hostile towards each other and you kept apart from each other and you wanted nothing to do with each other, when you both come to Christ, you are both going to go to the same church. And you're going to learn to love each other and get along and serve the Lord together. It's not going to be the church of the Gentiles and the church of the Jews. It's going to be one church because God wants to show how great he is to be able to bring all this diversity together into these local communities of believers and be able to call people together to worship him and to serve him. And so that's what Paul is saying when he says, so for this reason, here's what I'm about to say. He says... I, Paul, am the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake 
of you. If there was one phrase that I would like to leave ringing in our ears this morning, it is this. And again, this runs so counter to the way church even is done in most places. And that is this. The church that God created, the church that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church... It's not about us. It's not. And that's that's even mind-blowing to most Christians today. Why? Because even the church itself and many churches out there, and even we as Christians, we approach being involved in a church and choosing a church and all that for us. That's what it's all about. Why do... 90% or more Christians choose the church to go to that they choose to because it's about them. It's about them. And even when we're in a church, why do we try to steer the leadership in this direction and we try to get the church to go here, whatever? Because it's always self-serving many times. It's like, well, I, I want it to be what I want it to be. It's about me, right? Because we do, we live in a world that's totally self-absorbed and selfish. And all of that selfishness has creeped into our lives as Christians. And that's even how we approach church. It's about us. And here's what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. Using himself as an example. He says, I am a prisoner for the sake of you. Then notice in verse 2, he also goes on to say, you've heard of my stewardship of God. That grace that was given to me, and notice these next two words before verse 3, for you. Not for him, but for others. Then if you go all the way over to chapter 3, verse 13... Notice Paul's words. He says, For this reason I ask you not to lose heart because of what I am suffering. And don't miss those next two words. For you. For you. See, for Paul, being part of the church and looking at his fellow believers, it was never about, I'm in this for me. He says, I'm in this for others. I'm in this for you. And in this great passage of Scripture, Paul identifies himself in three ways that I want us to to consider in our own lives. And how we can apply these things to our own lives. Because I think that they begin, at least, to set us on this unselfish path, if you will, towards being involved in a local church, rather than making it about us. So I want to go back and begin in chapter 3, verse 1. Where Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you. By the time Paul wrote this letter... He had been a prisoner in Rome for about five years. Now think about that. Just just let that settle for a moment. I don't know how many of you have ever been in prison. I don't want to know if you have. 
But think about being in prison for five years at this point. And then, obviously, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, being led by God to write these letters. And notice how Paul identifies himself, though. This is very important. First of all, he says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. That's not how I view this. He says, I'm a captive in chains. I am bound to Jesus Christ. Think about what Paul's saying. He said, when you and I become Christians, here's how we should view our lives. That it's not just Jesus Christ saving us, but that literally we have this this chain, or even if you want to think of a handcuff, he says, I'm handcuffed to Jesus Christ. And therefore, whatever Jesus Christ wants of my life, whatever he wants of me, whatever he asks of me, I'm okay with it. Because I have, first of all, been captivated by Christ. Therefore, I am a captive to Christ. Therefore, I am not captive to anything else. See, you and I are either captive to our circumstances in life, or we are captive to Jesus Christ. And if we are captive to Jesus Christ, as Paul was, then all the circumstances that happen to us will never negatively affect us. Because we will understand, if I'm chained to Jesus Christ, and this is something that Jesus wants me to go through for the sake of others, it's not about me, then I know, first of all, Jesus is always with me through all this. He's never going to abandon me or forsake me, because we're chained together. We, We can't be separated. And... It's not about me. So therefore, I'm not going to go, why me, God? I know already why me. It's because God is trying to use my life in some way to positively impact, benefit, and profit my brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, you think about it. In all the years that Paul was in prison, was his ministry in any way diminished? No, it flourished. He talks to people about how he was able to witness to all the guards and all the fellow prisoners and how people were coming to Christ because he was in prison. And then, oh, by the way, all the time Paul was there, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, four New Testament letters that we still study from today, that are still making an impact today. See, that's how he viewed it. See, Perspective is everything. How you and I view the events of our life are more important than the events themselves. Let me repeat that. How you and I view the events of our life are more important than the events themselves. Paul wasn't like, oh, woe is me. I'm in this prison and I can't get out and... God, why are you doing this to me? You must hate me. I must have done something wrong. No. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm chained to Jesus every day. God is using me here in this circumstance, even though, you know, it might not have been what I chose. But I'm his prisoner. I've been captivated by Jesus. Whatever Jesus wants of me, I'm there. Because it's not about me, Paul says. It's about you. And so Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, I'm here for you, not for me. 
See, that's the message God wants to get through to his people today in an age and a culture, even in church, where you even see churches marketing, marketing to you. We're here for you. It's about you. You know, we, we're just going to enable you to even be more selfish, to be more self-absorbed. Because as you even come into our church community, you're not going to be taught to lay aside your life and to be selfless like the Lord was. No, we're going to teach you. It's about you. You keep, you keep living your life for you. Totally opposite of what the New Testament teaches. Because, see, we're going to learn this. God is looking for a group of people somewhere a community of believers that will come together and literally be willing to live for everyone else but themselves. Because that's who Jesus was. And think about it. How dynamic of a church would that be? Well, I'll tell you how dynamic a church like that would be. I think that was the church in Acts. Read about it. And that's why even today you have Christians who are part of the church. Why can't the church be more like the church? Why can't we have the impact? Why can't we have the influence? Why aren't we seeing the power of God and all of that? I'll tell you one of the main reasons why. Because all of us who are part of the church, it's more about us than it is about others. And Paul and God is calling us to a life of not selfishness, but selflessness, where we take up our cross daily, we die to self, and we lay our lives aside for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, the church... Because, see, the church is very important to Paul because the church is very important to God. That's why he takes these 13 verses to describe what the church is, talking about this secret. Not that God was hiding anything, but God was just saying up to this point in history, I didn't reveal about Jews and Gentiles in one body because up to this point, I was working through one nation, the Jewish nation. But once Christ came and opened that all up, now I'm calling people from different nations and different races and they're going to be part of this one body and they're all going to be unified together and they're going to come and worship me and glorify me through the church. Which is why in verse 10, and we talked about this at the very beginning of our service, or our our study of Ephesians, that the purpose of this enlightenment for Paul to share with the church at Ephesus was that through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God would be made known to the angelic realm. The church is the university for angels. Did you get that? See, the angels still learn in heaven just like we're going to still be learning in heaven. I think some even Christians get the idea that we get to heaven, we're just these mindless twits. I'm here, God, I'm just enjoying myself. Like, no learning. No! Heaven will continually throughout eternity be because the angels are still learning. They're learning through us, or at least they're supposed to be learning through us. The church is the university of angels. And Paul's been talking about the church. Why? Well, let me share three things very quickly. First of all, why is the church so important? Because the church is central to human history. 
The church is central to human history. You, you realize, right, that all the things that, that cause us fear now about other world religions and movements and all that in the world, you realize one day they're going to be a distant memory. But the church will still be. That's why Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will never prevail. It will prevail throughout history. The church will still be here during the thousand year reign of Christ. The church will still be in existence during the eternal ages to come. But all those other things, whether they be in our day and age, radical Islam or whatever you want to call it, or even when I was younger, much younger, everyone in the world feared communism. All those things, folks, they won't even exist anymore. They won't even be part of a conversation. They won't even be in our memory anymore a million years from now. But the church will still be. It is central to human history. Second, it's central to the gospel. The gospel isn't just about God saving individuals. Notice what Paul says back here. If I can find it. In chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 5. Now, this secret was not disclosed to people in former generations, but it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Namely, notice this, verse 6, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They also are joint members of the body, and therefore fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus. You get that? Through the gospel. It's not just about saving individual people. It's about, oh, wait a minute. There's this new body, this new entity. God is creating one new man. So that Gentiles now are on equal footing with the Jews, and we're all part of the same body. That's part of the gospel. The church is part of the gospel. And the other reason why the church is important is because the church is central to our Christian life. As we've learned up to this point, God has designed it that the only way we grow spiritually strong and stay spiritually healthy is in a close-knit community of believers. And so that's why Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you. Then look at verse 2. He also says, If indeed you have heard about the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Not only does Paul describe himself as a prisoner, he describes himself as a steward. And don't miss this. What Paul is saying to us then in the body is this. He says, do you realize, again, because it's not about us, it's about others, that everything God gave to us, whether it be our spiritual gifts, our abilities, our talents, our, our resources materially and all that, he says, you realize that that makes us then a steward of these things, but not to use for us, to use to benefit others especially in the body of Christ. That's what I was sharing Wednesday night, where Paul told Timothy, do not neglect the spiritual gift that has been given to you. And why does God even give us spiritual gifts? 
He gives us spiritual gifts as believers so that we can build up and edify and profit and benefit our fellow Christians. He doesn't give us our spiritual gifts for our benefit. What good would it do if, 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 you, if you believe that God has given me the spiritual gift of teaching his word? What good would it do if I'm at home on Sunday morning going, I'm going to teach myself? And I feel really good and I'm building myself up. Fall flat, right? Because see, I believe that when you and I live for ourselves, that burns up. That doesn't last. When you and I live our lives for others, that's what lasts. That's what lasts. That's what will survive throughout eternity. Not what we do for us, but what we do for others. So God has given every believer at least one spiritual gift and says, use it. Use it where? Use it in the body. Use it in your church. Not to benefit you. And that's why Christians that stay away from church and don't come to church and aren't faithful to church and don't get involved in church and don't minister to church are really being very selfish. Because you're not staying away for yourself. When you do stay away, you're not there in some way to help your brothers and sisters in Christ. Then we're not able to benefit from the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and everything that God has given you. Not for you, but for us. And that's the stewardship Paul's talking about. Everything that we have is because God gave it to us. Again, whether it's material, spiritual, whatever. And God is saying, how are you managing that? What kind of steward are you? That's why Jesus spends all this time in the Gospels talking about these parables about stewardship. And if you notice, in those parables of stewardship that Jesus gives, it's never about how we use them for us. It's how we use the resources God gave us to bless others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here. He says, you realize I am a stewardship, a steward of God's grace for you. When God saved me, by his grace. And what God enabled me in, and, and gave me the things that he gave me, it wasn't to build me up. It was to build you up. It was to benefit you spiritually. It was to profit you spiritually. That's what it's all about. And then when you look down as we move through to verse 7, I love this. Another word here. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel. Again, according to the gift of God's grace that he has given me by the exercise of his power. Now notice a very important word. Paul says, I became a servant. It means I developed into a servant. I emerged into a servant. I grew into being a servant. I didn't automatically know what it was like to serve. Because we may think, oh, I can just get saved and I can serve, right? Well, in some way, yeah, but in a lot of ways, no. Because we have to be 
taught and we have to be trained what it really means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And what it really means is it's not about us. It's about others. And can I even say this? In 32 years of church ministry, one of the things that I've learned is even Christians who sometimes volunteer to serve is very self-serving. You know why? Because the, the way they want to serve in the local church is, is really more about them than the people that they're serving because it's doing what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. That's not real service. Real service is being chained to Jesus Christ and Jesus, whatever, whatever. If that's what benefits my brothers and sisters, then that's what I'll do if that's what you're leading me to do. Not always what I want. See, God is looking for a group of even Christians that are, can be part of a local church where it's never about what we want, but about what God wants and about what others really need. That's what God's looking for. And that's why Paul's saying, oh, somewhere along the line, could we find a community of believers that would just be all in for one another rather than for themselves? And I love what Paul says in verse 7. He says, but when I became a servant, he said, I realized that God was there always to enable me, his grace, and to empower me by energizing me with his power and strength. I never had to worry about, you know, what was I going to have what I needed to serve God with whatever he was calling me to because I knew his grace would be there and I knew his power would be there when I'm doing what God's calling me to do, which in this case is sitting in a prison for at least five years. And yet Paul says, I know that God will give me the grace to navigate those years in prison, even if I spend the rest of my life in prison. And I know God's power and strength will be energizing me every day to get up. And instead of feeling sorry for myself, to figure out what can I do to benefit my brothers and sisters in Christ. So let me start writing Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. And that's why then Paul comes to verse 13 where he makes a very important point. He says, so for this reason, I ask you in Ephesus not to lose heart because of my suffering. Don't become discouraged. Don't become disheartened. Don't become even disillusioned with God because of what God has me involved with right now. Well, you know what point Paul's really making here? He's saying a Christian, again, if we view events properly, more so than the events themselves, we would never ask the question that even many Christians ask, many books in the Christian bookstore are written about, because again, it's all from this selfish focus. And that is, why do bad things happen to good people? Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you, that's, not, that's not even the right question. If you and I are prisoners of Jesus Christ, and God allows us to go through suffering, then it might not have anything to do with me. It might have everything to do with something or someone else. 
See, that's because you and I, even as Christians, sometimes view the events of other people's lives and the circumstances of their lives and the circumstances and events of our from a totally self-viewpoint. Rather than being able to take a step back like Paul did and be able to start viewing the events through the perspective of God and His Word. First of all, there is really no one good, according to the Bible, but God. So the whole thing about why does bad things happen to good people, I don't care who we are, the greatest Christian who ever lived, Paul, Paul still suffered because there's really no human being who's good. So that's not a good way to look at it. And second of all, the whole thing is, well, bad things happen to People like Paul and like us, because maybe the suffering that we're going through has nothing to do with us or how God views us or what he thinks of us. It has everything to do with God loves and wants to reach into other people's lives and he's using our suffering to do it. Paul said, it's not about me. It's about you. So he's saying to the church at Ephesus, don't be upset. Don't, don't lose heart. Man, get fired up that God thinks so much of you that he's allowed me to suffer in prison so that you could spiritually benefit. Paul said, I'm not discouraged. Why are you discouraged? Don't look at life that way. We all are to be prisoners of Jesus Christ. We are all stewards of the grace of God. And we are all to become servants of Christ Jesus to one another. See, Paul had gotten to the point in his Christian life where he was willing, willing to pay any price if it meant his brothers and sisters could benefit or profit spiritually from what he went through. He was willing to pay any price to see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ move forward. And what Paul is calling all of us out today is saying, will you also be a part of that? Will you be willing to be part of a church where it's not about you? But where it's about you being in a place where you can literally lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Isn't that what Jesus said? In the Gospel of John, Jesus said this, No one has greater love than this than that one would lay down their life, not for their family, but for their friends. And in the context, who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples, disciples that he's already said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, because of the great love that you have for one another. That's what will stand out. There are many times, even in our own family, where people would not lay down and give up their lives and lay their lives aside for us. And yet God calls us to be part of His body where He says it should be a a continual thing that we are all part of something where we're all just continually laying down our lives for one another. Laying aside our life for others. That's what the church is supposed to be about. And that's why Paul says... When the church becomes the church that God designed it to be, oh, then it will turn the world upside down. It will make an impact. 
It will be something truly that people will want to be a part of. Because they will see the difference between communities of believers that are all in it for themselves and the building of their own kingdoms and a church where there are people that truly have come to say, I'm not part of this body for me. I am part of this body to sacrifice my life, however many breaths God gives me, for the sake of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me ask you something as we close this morning. Is there another Christian that you know of in your life that you truly believe, not a family member, even though, again, sometimes even family members won't lay down their lives for us, truly. Because it's not about just dying for somebody. It's about, in a sense, dying to self for somebody every day. It's about giving up our lives for the sake of others every day. But how about another brother or sister in Christ? Do you know of another brother or sister in Christ that you know would truly give up and lay aside their life for you? And how about you? Are there any brothers or sisters in Christ that would know that you would do that for them? Jesus said, Jesus said, there is no greater love than this, than that one would lay down their life for their friends. That's what the church is to be about. It's to be a community of believers and followers of Jesus Christ who follow their Savior, who follow His example, who even though He was the Lord of glory, it wasn't about Him, it was about us. He left the glories of heaven. He took upon Himself humanity. He died even though He was sinless. He allowed Himself to be tortured and scourged and crucified, not for Himself, but out of love for you and I. And when you and I become a Christian and we say now we are a follower of Jesus Christ, then Jesus says to us, then follow me. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. And let me make you a part of a close-knit community of believers where you all will just continually lay down your lives for one another. Let's pray. As we pray, the worship team will come. Father God, maybe even here at the Oasis, maybe we would be a community of believers that would come together like no community of believers has ever come together before. And instead of making church and service and involvement and engagement with our brothers and sisters in Christ about us, maybe we would totally make it about others. That it's about us not being able to keep ourselves from church because it's not about us. It's about, I can't wait to get there and see how God can use me to encourage and build up and strengthen my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't wait to get involved in some way because 
I want God to use the gifts and the abilities and the talents that he's given me to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ. The local church has become way too much about us and way too little about God and others. God, use this message to change that even here. You call us, God, as your followers to lay down our lives for one another. Would we make a commitment to do that this day? These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're getting ready to close the service with a song, The Greatness of Our God. Do you know how God's greatness truly can be seen? It can be seen when a group of very diverse human beings can come together and under God lay down their lives for one another. That's when God's greatness can really be seen. As we sing about his greatness today, let's declare to God, God, I want to be a part of that. I want to show the world and I want to show my brothers and sisters in Christ just how great you are. I want to be the prisoner of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be chained to my circumstances. I want to be chained to Jesus Christ. And I want to lay down my life for my brothers and my friends.